First Peter chapter number two, and we'll read verse uh, seventeen. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. God's people ought to be the best uh, citizens of the nation they're citizens of. Um, a people whose Lord is the God of all grace and a God of loving kindness and tender mercies and whose guiding principles are to love the God of all grace with all of our hearts and to love their neighbors and whose characteristics are that we should be known by our love ought to be um, good citizens, ought to be, as we saw last week, as one said, the flower of the people. Um, quite often, though, Christians are seen as the worst of the people in a nation. Some, even right now in our country, are terrified of the idea of a nation where Christians might have a say in the government. But Peter isn't talking about winning culture wars, and he isn't talking about taking over the nation. Um, and you know, defeating political opponents, what Peter is talking about in this section is how you and I are to live among the Gentiles, live among the lost in this world. And so he began in verse 13 telling us how we ought to live under a corrupt and pagan government. And so, from verses 13 to 16, he tells us that we were to submit unto the, to every ordinance of man. Because God has ordained those who have authority to have authority, and they have a purpose in God's will to punish the evildoers and reward them that do well, because it is the will of God that through our, our love for one another, and through our submission to the laws of the land, as far as we can obey them, we'd put to silence those people who say that we are um, that we are wicked people. So the problem is that you have some people who want to overthrow the government. You have some people who want to cause commotions and, and are rebellious, and they do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... What the enemies of Christ do is they point to these um, rebel rousers and say, well, look right here. This is what Christians are. But Peter says quite the opposite, that though we will be accused, and the reason we'll be accused of things is because to love God is to not love the gods of this world, and to love others is not to um, allow them to, to or not, not to condone their sinfulness. And not to accept their sinfulness, but even to call it out, that is, that is a loving thing to do. And because of our Lord and the world hating our Lord, people are not, they're going to oppose us by their very nature. So what Peter is saying, so as Christ's free men, don't use this as a means for sinfulness, but as the servants of God, put to silence the foolishness and the, and the, the lies of, of ignorant men that when they say and accuse you of, of misconduct and misdeeds 
that your actions and your your life will be will make them look foolish. So if if someone would say, well, Buffalo Valley Baptist Church, nothing but a bunch of lawbreakers. And someone will say, well, who? Who are you talking about? Because I know those people and they're not lawbreakers. They, they're they're uh, honorable people, but they don't break the law and, and that kind of thing. So let our conduct be the answer to those accusations. And so it would be bad for us to be rightly accused of wrongdoing. Right? We, we want to live in such a way that we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so in verse 17, Peter sums up what he had said thus far with four principles or precepts or imperatives or, or whatever you want to call them for us to follow in the pagan nation. As we live in this wicked world, as God's people among the Gentiles, people of the light walking amidst darkness, here are four principles for us to follow to, to guide us in how we can do this. So if we are to live as good citizens, well, you say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but how are we to do that? What are the guidelines? What are we supposed to do in order to, to live in such a way to, to silence the ignorance of foolish men? Well, the, if we follow these four things that Peter lays out for us, then, um, then we will do just that. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, these four, four principles of being a good citizen according um, to, to the Word of God. So we're going to honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. And if we do these things as the people of God, then I believe, um, I believe that we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish men in this world. So the first thing here is we're going to honor all men. Because God has greatly blessed us, and because God has given us so much in Christ Jesus, does not mean that we are superior than other people, or we don't have these privileges because we've earned these blessings. We don't earn the privileges God has given us. We were shown mercy. The king granted us pardon. And we walked among the enemy of the king. We walked among with his enemies. And the king, instead of giving us the death penalty, offered us pardon and set us free. Rather than giving us what we deserve, he granted us mercy and life. So of all people, we should not be... Um, ones who are self-righteous or, or think that we are better than other people because we of all people know that and probably feel that we're the worst of all people. That, you know, sometimes you think if somebody accuses you of something, you might, you might think, well, you don't know the half of it. You know, you're, you're calling me a bad person. Well, you don't know the half of it. I'm, I'm a lot worse than than what you think I am, even. You know, we know who we are. God has given us a, an understanding of our own sin and depravity. And so we are thankful that God has saved us. But as we read what, um, you know, I go back to this, as we study this, but if we remember what God has done for us, he's begotten us again with a living hope to an inheritance incorruptible, 
undefiled that fadeth not away were kept by the power of God through salvation. We have that inheritance awaiting for us the return of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and died for us. That we are, um, we have the blessings of the royal and holy priesthood, a spiritual house chosen by God, a chosen and holy nation, a peculiar people. All these blessings and and things that we are that God has given us does not mean that we are uh, superior than men, but we have just been blessed above measure by the King's wonderful grace. And so we don't look at men as our inferiors, those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we ought to do is look at them and to compel them to come to our King. And to compel those who walk in darkness to come to the, the king who pardons, to the king who saves, to the, to the God who will forgive you of all your sins and trespasses because he has forgiven us. I walked in darkness, I walked in sinfulness, but here the God of all grace, the God of, of loving kindness and compassionate mercy has saved me by his grace and cleansed me from all unrighteousness and given me uh, this inheritance. And we, we, we plead with our fellow um, human beings to come, come to the king who saves. So we honor all men because there is dignity in humanity. Because we are of, of one blood, so to speak, that, that there is no superiority between um, man or woman or Jew or Gentile or, or black or white, but we are all of one blood. We are one, um, one humanity, all children of Adam, born into this world sinners in the image of God. And so, therefore, we ought to think of one another in that regard. There is there's a certain dignity in humanity. Nobody is a lesser of a, of a person because of what they look like or where they come from. that you know, it doesn't matter if you grow up in, in the inner city in New York or if you grow up in the country in West Virginia, that, that there is a, you know, we are made in God's image. And there is a, a, a dignity in humanity uh, because we are made in God's image. So we ought to respect human life. So if we're going to honor all men, we need to to honor and respect human life. And that starts with the child in the womb. That, that, that child in the womb is not a clump of cells, but it has dignity in, in humanity. That, that is a human life. And we honor that child in the womb as if um, that it was a, a you know, walking about. Right? It is, it is life. And so we respect human life and don't say, well, it hasn't matured into all that it could be potentially. Therefore, we don't have to honor and respect human life in the, in the womb. No, we are to honor all. All the way to the elderly. The opposite in that, because once, uh, once you start making it okay to where you can chill, kill the child because it hasn't fully developed into a um, uh, all that it could be. Well, the same argument goes to the end of life. Because you can say, well, here at the end of life, 
Here's the person that's not all that they used to be. And so when you start valuing human life by their potential of development, the same argument would apply to the end of life when you say, well, they're not all that they could have been or used to be, right? So, so that's, that's where you know, things will be heading, no doubt, if, if, it can, if it would have continued to go on that regard to, to where you say, well, it's, we, can, we can take the human life in the womb. Um, they want, some want to go so far as take the human life after the child is even born. So whenever all the abortion arguments were going on not too long ago, you know, people were bringing that up. There are some countries in the world where um, you can, um, you know, there is uh, doctor-assisted uh, suicide, they call it. But that is not to have respect and honor unto human life. So that is the same for the healthy as the infirm. The young and the old. We are to honor all men. No matter their rank in society, whether they are a powerful, influential person, or whether they don't have a house to live in, there is, there is dignity in, the, in, hum, in humanity. No matter their personal wealth, no matter their intellect, we should treat all people graciously and with respect as a fellow human being that we that there is no cause for the children of God to look down upon people for for what they look like, what they dress like, how smart they are or or how dumb they are. And I can tell you right now no matter where you go there's always going to be somebody smarter, there's always going to be somebody with more money, with more power. Um so you know Somebody would, you could be the richest person in West Virginia and somebody's going to look down on you um, because you live in West Virginia and because you don't have as much money as they do, right? So, so we, there should not be a sliding scale in that. We should honor all men, have respect unto all men. Why? Well, man, made in God's image, that fact should cause us to honor all men because we are um, created beings, all one to, to another. Yes, we are fallen. We're fallen humans. And being the, the Bible believers that we are, we know that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And, and we know the depravity of man. And we know our sinfulness. And we know within us there is no good thing. And we know uh, Romans chapter 3 very well. But even in our fallen state, we still are born with rational beings, with consciousness, feeling, reason, a human soul. All these things God has given us. He didn't give them to animals. He didn't give them to dogs and cats and, and, and bears and, and other, all sorts of other pets and things. He gave them to human beings. And even after the fall, we still have rational intellect where we can think and reason and feel. We have a human soul. We have a conscience. You and I, all people, rich or poor, no matter what country, no matter what your rank, all must stand before God one day and give an account 
for how they lived in this world. That, that of itself should give us pause to consider one another. That the President of the United States, the King of England, or the homeless people down on the streets of Charleston, will all stand before the Almighty God and give an account. Now, you know, my dog is not going to stand before God and give an account for, for, for their actions. But human beings will. If we think about that for a second, there is, there is something about just being a human being, being accountable before God that should, should cause us to have at least um, the minimum of, of respect just towards one another. That in itself ought to give us pause to think how we treat one another and view one another as our fellow man. So we can see there is a fellow creature who will one day stand before the King of Kings, who will one day stand before the Holy One of Israel. If humanity would adhere itself to the law of Christ in this respect of honoring one another, many of the evils that have hurt and destroyed in this world would have never taken place. If we would have honored all men, there would have been no abortion debate whatsoever. If we would have honored all people, there would have been no abortion because we would have had respect on the human life. If we would have honored all men, how can you enslave a man whom you respect? How could you bind a man in chains and treat him like treat him uh, like an animal and buy him and sell him and kidnap him and tear him away from their family and treat them um, treat him like an animal if you honored and respected the man? You can't do that, can you? How could you own a business and swindle an employee, if you honored him and had respect unto him as a as a fellow citizen, as a as a human being, or vice versa, how could you be an employee and and steal from the boss if you honored and respected him? How could you be a politician and deceive the public if you honored the people to whom you served? Well, you couldn't. All these hurts and all these evils come from a pride that looks down upon people and, and treats people as if they were inferior uh, to, to themselves. One man said, respect is the parent of kindness. And I think that is true. To, to honor someone, to respect somebody, uh, will give you that kindness. You know, we have the little... Little ones running around on Sunday morning. Well, we, we are kind to them. And we still look at them and honor them as, as human beings made in God's image. With a desire to see them grow and to see them mature, to see them come to saving faith. We don't treat them as if they weren't uh, people, but we treat them as young people. Just little people who haven't grown and matured, but we still honor and, and respect them as, as people. At least we ought to. 
Pride makes us look down on people. You can't believe this verse and treat a person as property or, or chattel. You can't honor all men and then seek to oppress and use people. You can't believe this verse and then treat people con- with contempt who aren't valuable to you. That, that's not the, the, ma- the measure of, of character is how you treat people who are above you. It's how you treat people who are below you. That's where you see the character. That's where you see a person's true character and whether they honor all people is how they treat those people uh, below them. We honor those who are of low estate because they are made in God's image. I mean, the Bible very clearly and particularly um, makes this point. Uh, we'll look at a couple of verses. One, Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind one to another. Mind not the high things, but condescend to men of low estate. So not only are we to, to honor and respect, but we are to low, lower ourselves to those who are low estate. That we are to, to purposely respect those and honor those who are less fortunate in this life than, than you and I may be. Now, if we thought, think of ourselves and the things that we have as blessings of God, whether it is the spiritual blessings that we have, the, life, the way that we were raised, now you and I here tonight are the beneficiaries, all of us here are the beneficiaries of parents who, who trained us up in the right way. Every single one of us here tonight, by God's grace, to a large degree, uh, were set on the right path by parents who desired their children to be on the right path. Right? So God, God saves us, but God, God blessed us by, by just the lives that, that we have. And that, you know, you could, you could have grown up in a, a home with, uh, where they, they taught you to, to sell drugs or something, right? You could have grown up in a home um, that taught you how to be a criminal. But, but, but we have, um, you know, we, ha- we, we can be thankful for the Lord's blessing just in, in that regard. Well, we are the same thing with anything that we have. Any material possession we have is because of God's grace. That's why James says in James chapter 2 and verse 5, um, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? And he said, but you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So James was saying, it doesn't make any sense 
for you to honor and respect and kind of cuddle up beside the rich people and try to impress them and bestow great honor on them. She said, he said, who is it that oppresses you? Who is it that um, uses and abuses you? Well, it's the rich people, isn't it? But here you are trying to, to honor them because, why? Because you want what they have and hoping they, they'll give you what they have. But you oppress the poor. James said you shouldn't respect persons, whether they're rich or they're poor. And what he was doing is shining light on the, on the situation and was saying, you know, think why you honor the rich people the way that you're doing. It's not because they're treating you well. It's because you're coveting after what they have. He said, but if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you'd do well. You'd honor them. You'd have respect unto them. Brown says to look at those fellow humans, perhaps even those who are unsaved, we could, we could consider to rescue them from the influence of ignorance and, and evil and superstition, to put down slavery, oppression, war, misgovernment in its endless varied forms, to make men free, intelligent, industrious, moral, religious, happy, to the greatest degree on earth, to save them from the shame and everlasting contempt which awaits unimproved advantages and unanswered responsibilities in eternity. If we could consider humanity as creatures of God and what man was in the garden and what man could be glorified in Christ, then we can begin to understand why we ought to honor all men. We should honor all men because God commands it to respect life, thou shalt not kill, to respect their property, in essence, to love your neighbor as yourself. We should honor all men because of humanity, the flesh that God has made because of the gospel. When Adam fell, he didn't cast men into perdition, but provided a way of everlasting salvation. He didn't do that to the angels, but he did for men. And the only begotten Son of God entered into creation, not as an angel, but in flesh. Our Lord, the King of kings, is the God-man, and for that reason alone, we ought to treat one another with respect and dignity. If a person is worthy of honor, then um, we ought to honor them. But the text says, just as human beings, we ought to uh, have respect one towards another as image bearers. All right. So the as we go on, we're not going to spend as much time on, on these. The, the points will get shorter and shorter as we go. But that's the first thing. Just respect one another. Honor one another. The second thing is to love the brotherhood. So we honor all men, but we love our brothers and sisters in particular. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, Paul said in Romans 12.10. Jesus said many times in the upper room discourse that we are to love one another. The new commandment, that we are to love one another. We are to be known 
by our love one for another. There's a relationship between us and all other people as as image bearers of God that we ought to respect. But we are to love the brothers, the brotherhood. This is God's people. So he goes from all of humanity to, in particular, the children of God. And we are to love the brotherhood. This this, uh, unity of family that we are to love one another. We are to love the brotherhood because we have the same father. We are to love the brethren because we have the same Lord. We have the same spirit and we, we follow the same book. We've been saved by the same gospel. All sinners saved by God's grace. So as we live in Gentile country, as pilgrims and strangers, children of the king, we ought to love one another as fellow travelers and cultivate that relationship one with another. We are heirs together and living stones together. We are a spiritual house together and a holy priesthood together and we worship together and we sing together and we pray together. We are chosen together. We are a holy nation together. We are brothers in Christ, citizens of a better country, walking together in the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are to go beyond just the the honor of of our fellow human beings, but we are to come together in this brotherhood and genuinely love one another. We assemble together in this brotherhood. It's hard to have a brotherhood if you don't if you don't know one another. Think of a, a club or um, uh, a, a troop of combat, a troop of soldiers or or something like that, they're, they're, they're tight-knit because they know one another and they, they serve together and they work together. My grandfather, um, he, he remembered those he served with in, in the army. The, and many, many, many decades later, he remembered those people that he served with. There was, there was a brotherhood of those men who had gone through things together that that I guess in, unless you just served in the army and you know uh, fought in the war, you just probably don't understand that. But you and I are a brotherhood. It's more than just you know coming and listening to somebody preach, but there's a real vital union between you and I and Christ. And when we we assemble together in love in this brotherhood. That's one reason why we meet. We help the brotherhood. So when whenever one stumbles, uh, we, we go and we help the other up. When one needs a hand, we, we help them. Whenever one needs encouraged, we, we encourage. We watch out for one another. We seek the peace of the brotherhood. We protect the brotherhood. John Brown said on those who loved the brothers, We will not be busybodies in other men's matters. We won't love and seek the preeminence. We'll avoid foolish questions with gender strife rather than godly edifying. We'll leave off contention before it be meddled with and we'll mark those that cause divisions contrary to the doctrine which he has learned and avoid them. He'll be found a steadfast upholder of the the great laws of this brotherhood. Let all things be done in charity. 
Let all things be done to edify, and let all things be done decently in order. It's not just because that's the rules of the, the church, and you go and say, well, this is the rules, and we're Baptists, and this is what we have to do, because everything has to be done in decent, decency and order, in an orderly fashion, right? It's not that, that we say, well, we have to, everybody has to vote with the right hand, and we have to have motions and seconds and business meetings because you have to do it decently and order, orderly. No, we, we do these things for the glory of God and for the love of one another. Because when you have things out of order, you're going to have contention, you're going to have problems, you're going to have um, sinfulness. So part of the reason why we do things is to seek the peace and the love of one another. So as we travel through this pilgrimage, we love the brotherhood. Thirdly, we fear God. That's the third thing, fear God. You fear God as a son. If you're not in Christ, you should fear God as judge. Because you're guilty. But if we... But being in Christ, we, we reverence God as our Father, who is the judge. So earlier, um, that's what Peter said, um, that we pass our time here of sojourning in fear because our Father judgeth according to every man's works. There's a great difference between standing before the judge whom you have sinned and standing before your father who loves you. There would be a big difference if, if your dad was the judge standing before him for breaking his laws than if you stood before any other judge for breaking the laws of this country. Right. So we pass our sojourning here in fear, but we do so as sons. If you're in Christ, then God should not be a terror to you. Now, if you're not in Christ, if you're not saved, then you ought to fear God as one who's going to meet his wrath. You ought to fear as the demons fear with trembling and be terribly afraid of God because you have affronted his holiness and disrespected his justice and an eternity of fire and brimstone and weeping and gnashing of teeth await where the worm dieth not and the, the punishment never ends and in eternal darkness separation from God oh you have every reason to fear God if you're not in Christ but if you are in Christ he is the almighty one but the Almighty who has chosen you. He is the Holy One, but the Holy One who has willed for you to stand before Him in love and blameless. But if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You've been justified by faith. You've been adopted into the family. There is nothing more for God to judge. And so as Hebrews 12 tells us, that our relationship with God is now between father and son. And so, 
He chastens us as sons. He disciplines us as sons. And so we are to fear him as a son. See, there's a difference between what people call a servile fear and sort of a, um, the fear of a son. A filial feel is what, what they call it. Or just the, the fear of a son, the respect and honor that a, that a son would give to a father. This fear arises from confidence and love to God, which the servile fear comes from a knowledge of conviction and sin and a sense of judgment. Zacharias, Zacharias uh, Ursinius um, has these points. He said, this filial feel, fear does not turn away from God, but hates sin above everything else and fears to offend God, while the servile fear is a flight and hatred, not of sin, but of punishment. So the fear of a son doesn't want to offend because he loves God. The fear of a slave fears God because he doesn't want to be punished. The fear of a son is connected with the certainty of salvation and in eternal life. The fear of a slave is to expect eternal condemnation and rejection of God. This servile fear arises from God's judgment while the fear of a son arises from God's love. The fear of a slave will cause him to run and hide from judgment. The servile fear is what caused Adam to run and to hide in the garden away from God rather than uh, the, the penitent son in the parable of the prodigal son who ran to his father. That's the difference between the servile fear and the fear of a son. The, the, the son honors and respects because he loves. The fear of a son will cause us to run to or draw near unto God. So it's a little wonder that when you try to scare Christians into obedience, the opposite thing usually happens. If we, if we try to make people obey God, God's people by, to obey God by scaring them into obedience, then you can expect the, the, the characteristics of a servile fear to take hold. Some will hide, some will press on but be in despondency, while others will get self-righteous like the older brother and the prodigal son. But what we are to do is, is to fear God as sons, to, to honor him and to respect him and to, to love him and, and to dread disobeying him for our heart's desires to please him and to walk in his ways because we love him and to, to be um, more fearful of, uh, of not doing what our Lord says than fear of, of the punishment that would come. To desire to walk in his ways in order that we may please and honor him rather than uh, to avoid getting punished. That's the fear of a son. That's, that's a, a relationship between the father and son. That's how we ought to fear God. As, as one who has been saved and justified, there is no more condemnation. We can walk in freedom and, and fear God, the Holy One, the Almighty One, in, in loving reverence to honor Him for, the, for His sake. So, fearing God as a son will put everything else in this list into place. If we fear God, we won't fear man. And a proper fear of God will give us the proper honoring 
of uh, all men. All right, so we won't honor men too much or we won't honor men too little because everything is in its right order. We fear God, and so therefore we can honor man. We can submit authority for the Lord's sake. We can love the brotherhood. We can endure as pilgrims. And we can, lastly, honor the king. Because we fear God, we can honor the king. And that's the basis for this command. And also the fences and the boundaries. Because we fear God, we want to do what he says and what he say. Submit to the authority. We dare not disobey our God, but we dare not honor above what's fitting God's commands to us. So we obey the government as far as we can do that in the fear of God. We honor all men as far as we can do that in the fear of God. God is first. And if we fear God, everybody else falls into place in their proper order. Where does the government come from? God. Who puts the leaders in power? God. Therefore, we respect the office. You say, well, I'm an American. I can't do this. This has nothing to do with me honoring the king. I don't, I don't honor anybody. Well, whenever I had jury duty, you know what I called the judge and what we all called the judge. You know what happened whenever the judge walked in the courtroom? Everybody stood up. What were they calling? They called him your honor. Why? Because that is a title of respect. The honorable so-and-so. You know, that, that's the title of, of people in elected office, the honorable this person and honorable that person. I don't know if the judge is an honorable man or not, but he ought to be because he's a judge, and, and it's an honorable position. And so you give him a respect as that, as that office holds. You give respect because the authority that he has comes from God. And so God says, honor those people who, uh, who that he has placed in, in positions of power and live quietly and peaceably and pray for them. This is how we are called to, to live as citizens in this country. I'm going to close with something Herbert Hoover said a long time ago. He said, there's the new order, the new freedom, the new day, the new outlook, the new economy, the new liberalism, a new war, the new deal. He said, we've overworked this word new. The practical thing, if we want to make the world over, is, is to try out the word old for a while. Something, some old things that made this country. Some old things that are slipping. Old virtues and old religious faith and old integrity. Whole truth integrity. Honor in public office. I thought that was pretty good to hold on to some old things. So let's you and I, dear Christian, try some old things for a while. Look around the country. These new, the new things aren't working out too well for us, are they? A new ethic, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of treating one another, a new way of thinking of humanity. Let's try some old things for a while. Let's not imbibe the spirit of the age, but follow the path of the old apostles and the old word of God and, and the old paths that our forefathers have walked. And, and to, to live 
to honor all men and to love the brotherhood and to fear God and honor the king and live quietly and peaceably in this present world for the glory of our God. Let us try that and, and trust that God will bless us for doing so, for following his word.